And today, insha'Allah, we're going to go quickly through the most important uh, topics about a home sweet home or a good family, a healthy family. In accordance with the life of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu and in accordance with the guidance in the Quran. So this is from an Islamic perspective. I'm going to refer today, inshallah, tonight to the seerah, the life and the home of the family of the Prophet sallallahu about how he interacted with his children, with other children, how he interacted with his wives, how they interacted with him, how he was to his parents, to his mother, and to those who were around him in place of his mother, to his uncles and aunts. I'm going to talk about how briefly he interacted with his in-laws and about the advice that, and also with his relatives and cousins. We're going to relate his life and the stories, inshallah, that we're going to enjoy tonight to how we can practice them in our life. Allah says in the Quran, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم لقد جاءكم في رسول الله أسوة حسنة لمن كان يرجو الله واليوم الآخر وذكر الله كثيرا الله says in the Quran there has come to you the best example and role model in the Messenger of Allah. But only for those who hope for the best in the hereafter and hope to get closer to Allah and to meet Him and see Him in the hereafter and remembers Allah tremendously. It's the people who remember Allah it's the people who are connected to Allah. It's the people who believe in Allah. It's the people who fear Allah. It's the people who love Allah. It's the people who anticipate paradise and meeting Allah in the hereafter. It's those types of people that Allah says, for them comes a, the greatest role model in Muhammad وسلم, the messenger of Allah. So we are talking to those people who take him as a role model. And through him, ta'ala, and through all of Allah's messengers and their guidance, we meet Allah and we are successful in this world and the hereafter. Since we talked about the children's rights last week, I want to now begin with a few stories from the Prophet Sallallahu life about his interaction with children around him and teenagers. <clears throat> and then I'm going to go to talk about our duty as children towards our parents, followed by our duties towards our relatives and cousins, then our duty uh, towards our spouses, husband towards his wife, the wife towards her husband. And in that, we will talk about how to balance and manage our relationship with the in-laws. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala assist me and forgive me for my mistakes and make me successful in relaying the correct message to you and I hope inshallah it's helpful. So now I want to begin with a very special and interesting and beautiful story of a young man who was a Sahabi, a companion. He was a teenager and he was about 16 years old. 
I chose this particular companion because I want to talk about the teenagers and then relate it to how us as parents and in the community, we need to look after our teenagers. This particular teenager's name was Abu Mahdura. You know, the Arabs, they always use the Abus a lot. So he had a nickname called Abu Mahdura. And the Arabs in those days used to create men out of youngsters at an early age by calling them a name of respect. So to say Abu Mahdura, or if it was a girl, Ummu Mahdura, you're making out of young people, teenagers, adults. You're making them more mature just by giving them a mature and respectful name. This young man, Abu Mahdura, however, still had the teenage characteristics. As you all know, teenagers, their front part of their brain is still growing. It's called the prefrontal cortex, and it's responsible for decision-making, rationale, right and wrong, uh, motivation, making decisions. It's still growing until 25. So he was what we call a fata or a ghulam. And in the Arabic language, a ghulam or a fata is someone from the age of puberty all the way till about 19 or even to 25. The hadith is in Nasa'i and Ibn Majah and Ahmad and it's an authentic hadith. This young man, Abu Mahdura, he is the one who narrates to us his story. And he says, I lived in Mecca and my parents are from Mecca and I was still a disbeliever at that time. The Prophet Muhammad had left Mecca to go on a battle called the Battle of Hunayn. And we thought he was out of Mecca. So he lived in Medina, but we thought he's not nowhere around in Mecca. And as you know, the Muslims had reconquered Mecca, and they were the authority and the government of Mecca. And the Prophet was merciful and kind and compassionate. We know the story of how he treated the enemies who fought him. He freed them and told them, nothing will harm you, you are free, when he entered but unfortunately, there were people who still had hatred to the Prophet ﷺ just because they don't like the Islam or they have heard bad things about Islam and they've got this idea. Like what we have today, people make all sorts of comments about Muslims and Islam and our Prophet ﷺ without really knowing much, only surface knowledge and hatred. So brothers and sisters, this young man had hatred to the Prophet ﷺ and he particularly had, had hatred to the Adhan. The Adhan is the call to prayer. Why? Because it's loud. And we call five times a day. Maybe this young man wanted to go to sleep in the morning and didn't want to hear the adhan. He says, as we were walking towards Mecca, with a, he says, with a group of, of my friends who were teenagers as well, 15, 16, the Prophet ﷺ had entered Mecca and we didn't know. And it was time for salat in the daytime and he said to one of his mu'addins to call the adhan. When the mu'addin called the adhan in Mecca, he said, my friends and I began to tease and mock the Adhan. We started to mimic it and raise our voices, making all sorts of noises. My friends started to tease the Adhan, tease the way they say Allahu Akbar. You can imagine. And he said, my voice was the loudest and stood out among them. And I had a nice voice. I had a clear, loud voice. And I also teased and mocked the Adhan and started mimicking it. As we approached, the Prophet ﷺ heard us. And so he sent, one of, he sent his companions to us to grab us and bring us to him. He said, go get me those teenagers who are mimicking the Adhan. He said, he brought us and we all had to come in and we were caught. Obviously, they're the authority. He said, when I stood in front of the Prophet wasallam, looking at him, I couldn't look at his face. He had such an aura and what we call haybah. It's hard to look at the Prophet's face. You have to respect him. 
He said, I thought he was going to kill us, literally, because they've just come from the battlefield and they've still got their swords. And they're the authority mocking his religion. He's going to kill us or he's going to punish us or do something bad. He said, he came up to us and he said to all of us, which one of you was raising his voice the most? He said, all my friends pointed to me. (laughs) They threw me under the bus. They snitched on me. He said, but it was true. My voice was the loudest and mine reached the furthest. So the Prophet said to my friends, okay, all of you go away. He didn't say a single bad word to them. Just, all right, just go and leave me with this Abu Mahdura. He said, come here, Abu Mahdura. He said to him, were you the one with the loud voice? He said, yes. He said, I found your voice impressive. It's actually very nice. You have a talent, young man. And he smiled to him. The boy thought to himself, I didn't expect that. They told me he's a bad man. The Prophet ﷺ then, he said, he took a little bag and gave it to me. I looked in the bag and it had some silver coins. You'll know why soon. And then he said to me, I want you to repeat after me these words. So basically, he gave him the silver coins because it meant I want a favor back. Uh, this for that. Because the Prophet ﷺ knew that he hated the Adhan and he doesn't want to say it. So the Prophet ﷺ wants to be fair to him and say, Here is a bag of coins. And it's also a gesture that he's thinking of employing him if he passes the test. So he says to him, repeat after me, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. He said, he said, you got to raise your voice the way you were doing it before. So he raised his voice really nice. Then he went through the entire adhan, one by one, until he finished it. And he said, I memorized the adhan the way the Prophet taught me, with my my loud and and far-reaching, distinctive voice. And then he put his hand on my forehead here. I had a bit of hair on my forehead and he put it on my forehead. And then he wiped my forehead and then wiped my face gently. Then he wiped my chest and my heart. And then he wiped my, where my liver is and then across to my stomach and left me. And he said to me, Barakallahu feek wa burikt. May Allah bless through you and may Allah make you a blessing. And then I left. He said, when I left... I went to think about what the Prophet ﷺ said. And I came back and asked him about Islam. And my love for this man, wallahi, he was the most hated person to me in the world. After that moment, he became the most beloved to me in that world. And the Adhan was the most hated to me. After that, it became the most beloved to me. And I said to him, I bear witness that there is only one God worthy of worship, and you are his messenger. O Messenger of Allah, are you trying to employ me? Is that why he gave me the bag? And he said, yes. Do you take the offer? He said, yes, I do. He says, I've employed you as the main mu'addin of Mecca. And truly, Abu Mahdura accepted the job and he became the authority mu'addin of Mecca. There were four. Bilal was from Adina and he was from Mecca. The other two I forgot, but... Abu Mahdura was known throughout Islamic history. He was the fourth Mu'addin of Mecca and he died when he was 59 years old. All that time. Now, brothers and sisters, this incident by itself tells us so much about how to treat our teenagers and youngsters. So many lessons, but I'll just say two of them. Number one, Rasul did not judge him or reprimand him. He knew that he's a teenager still learning. 
Instead, he employed his talent and made it known in front of everybody that you have a talent. And that's one of the ways you can deal with your children and your relatives, as if you're a teacher, for example, with your students, if they're teenagers. Find a skill in them, even if they're silly, and bring them and say, if, you, if you've got talent and you're able to be creative, brothers and sisters, you can employ the talents of your children, especially if they're teenagers, and make it shine so that they can feel valuable and special. Everybody has a talent. Grab it, manifest it, and employ it. And that is what the Prophet ﷺ did with this teenager. Sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wa sallam, as Allah says, Sent you, O Muhammad, except as a mercy to the worlds. The Prophet ﷺ had therefore good treatment to his family, his children, and the children around him, and all the people around him. How did the children remember the Prophet ﷺ? They always remembered him as the smiling man. And he was known Al-Wajh Al-Bashush, the cheerful face. Even his wives, Aisha radiallahu anha, she was asked, how was he when he entered the home? He said, she said, Kana Bashush Al-Wajh. He was always, he always had a cheer on his face. And, he, and she said that he used to come in and assist us and help us. And he would look after his own belongings and his own service. He would sometimes mend his shoe and sew his clothing and make his milk and drink for himself and not ask us to do anything for him. So we served him and we loved serving him. The Prophet was remembered for his smile and the evidence to that is those who describe the Prophet's face, guess who? All the narrations about the Prophet's features came from children, number one. The hadiths of his, they were narrated by the teenagers and children, and secondly by women. As for the men, Amr ibn al-As, for example, he says, I was about 40 when I saw the Prophet ﷺ, when I became a Muslim. He goes, Wallahi, I could not look at his face. And every time I saw him, I could barely look at him out of respect. That's why I couldn't describe him. But the children, they stare. I think I told you this story once. Walked into a house. Little child looks at me and goes, you've got a big nose. I said, yes, I do have a big nose and I'm proud of it. He said, oh, because i got big eyebrows about himself. He says, if you're happy about your nose, I'm happy about your eyebrows. I go, you should be proud of that. The point that I'm making is that children notice the little things. So the Rasul the children felt safe around him. They loved him and they remembered him as the cheerful person. Rasul the way he showed his love for the children and made them feel important is that he shared their interests. I'll give you an example. Anas radiallahu anhu was a young companion when he served the Prophet ﷺ, he was 10 years old, until when the Prophet ﷺ died, which is a few years. Anas anhu says, I had a brother who was younger than me, who had just become aware to make differences. So he was about seven or eight years old. And he had a bird called an nughayr an nughayr it's like a sparrow. And whenever the Prophet ﷺ saw my brother, seven or eight years old, he would smile, and the only thing he would ask him he used to call him uh, Abu Umair from a young age. Yeah, Abu Umair. 
Omar and Umair to make him feel a bit older and more mature. Ya Aba Umair, Mada Fa'ala Nughair. He would rhyme it. Because that's what children like. If children can see that you can come to their level, then they connect with you better. So fathers and mothers, get down to the level of your children and be with them like that. Even if they make mistakes, smile. Rasulullah said, Ya Aba Umair, Mada Fa'ala Nughair. Every time you see him, tell me about the bird that you have. What did it do today? Sharing his interest, and the child would speak to the Prophet a lot. Why didn't the Prophet lecture him? Because children observe, they copy. So Rasulullah wanted this child to be interested in talking with the Prophet while he's watching how the Prophet moves and talks. And the child learned the character of the Prophet in his demeanor. In his tone of voice, in the way he moved his eyes, the way he smiled, the way he paid attention. He's developing that young boy. One day the Nughair died. He started crying. And it looks like the parents and people around him didn't give him much support because the Arabs were quite rough in those days. A boy doesn't really cry, it's only a bird. Rasul goes to him, sits with him, puts his arm around him, and he says, Tell me about the bird. Tell me about its story and its life. Memories. He's paying him condolences for the death of his bird. Do you think this boy will ever forget that? What memories will you place in your children and the children around you? I remember once praying here in this masjid when I was 11. 11 years old, my moustache was just starting to show. Little tiny muzzy right there. Very small. And I felt like a man, because my dad made me feel like a man. And I wanted to sit in the front row. That day, my father bought me the ghutra, you know, the Saudi one, white. I felt like a sheikh. I wore it and came and sat here. I wanted to pray it was Ramadan. And I remember a man coming and looking at all of us and saying to all the children, go to the back. Go to the back. I'm looking, I put this little face on, I said, I'm innocent. He looks at me, deciding. Is he old enough? Yes. Go to the back. I said, I want to stay. Go to the back. I got scared. I haven't forgotten it till today. Well, I haven't forgotten it till today. It sounds sad, but also at the same time, it's important. A child remembers. But I remember... My father's friend, when I made a mistake in my Qur'an, and then my father said, you made a mistake, and he smiled, and then his friend said to me, you're a champion. Allah, I wish if my children can become like you. I still remember it till today. He made me feel amazing. A friend of mine the other day said to me, my little daughter, he calls me up and says, my little daughter asked me about you. I said, she doesn't know my name. She goes, no, no, no. She said, where's the man that smiles? (laughs) I said... Children, remember a person who smiled to them. In a good way, not in a creepy way. <laughs> so my brothers and sisters, we have to say these things these, these days. Rasul went so much to say, don't even lie to kids. Lying to kids about anything. And I remember talking about how our parents lied to us. Well, not, well they didn't mean to lie. They, they meant to teach us respect about um, putting away our prayer mat and our shoes and all that stuff. And that's all good. That's all good. You know, it's telling us to, to, to keep things tidy and clean. But then they attach all these fears about shaitan 
doing things to it and whatever. We're not allowed to make up things like that. And Rasul once he says that uh, a young man called Abdullah ibn Umar and he was about 12 years old. He said, my mother once called me and the Prophet was visiting us in our house. He was visiting us in our house. And my mother called me. Abdullah ibn Umar says, my mother called me in my house. <coughs> and she said, come Abdullah, I want to give you something. I, she, she wanted to move him away so that the Prophet ﷺ can have his space with the other men. So she said to him, can you come and give him space? I want to give you something. Rasul ﷺ looked at her and said, are you really going to give him something? She said, yes. That was later on. And then, no, sorry, he said, he, he said to my mother, uh, are you going to give him something? Uh, and she said, yes. And he said, If you don't give him something, it would be written against you as a lie. So can you imagine our children? Absolute honesty, insha'Allah. Uh, Al-Hassan wal Hussein, his grandchildren, used to enter the masjid and climb on top of, on top of the Prophet's back, as you all know the story. The Sahabas say, the hadith is in Sahih Muslim. They said we all went to sujood and the Prophet ﷺ prolonged, double, triple the time. We were about to lift our heads to see if something had happened to the Prophet. ﷺ. And after we finished, the Rasul ﷺ turned and he said, My grandchildren came and climbed on top of my shoulders. They were two or two years old, and I didn't want to harm them and ruin their enjoyment. La ilaha illallah. Sallallahu alayka ya habibi ya Rasulullah. Kindness and mercy to even non-Muslim children. Rasul had a Jewish neighbor and he had a son. The hadith is in Bukhari. And this son used to like to serve the Prophet He used to go and say, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? He loved him. Who would be the neighbor of the Prophet who won't love him? This young boy, <coughs> Rasul used to teach him about Islam and try to tell him to become a Muslim. And then he grew up and became a teenager, a ghulam. So he was about 18, 19 years old. And subhanAllah, he got sick and he was about to die. Rasul went and visited him and he said to him, You know that I come with the truth and you've already seen. I offer you Islam to be saved and I want to see you in paradise. In, in the meaning of those words. So the boy looked at his father or the young man looked at his father. And his father, the Jewish man who had known the Prophet he said to him, Qasim. Listen. Obey Abul Qasim. Abul Qasim was the nickname of the Prophet Because his father knew the Prophet was kind and merciful on the truth. And the, the young man said the shahada and died with the shahada. So you can see how he was even with the non-Muslims. And he was pleasant. They didn't force it upon him. But he treated him well all his life. Rasul encouraged us to care for girls. Especially for girls. Because in those times, in the majority of the world today... There's still this favoritism of boys above the girls. So the Prophet ﷺ, he said, whoever cares for and looks after two girls, any two girls, so your daughters, or you foster them, any two girls who you look after, let's say girls or orphans, for example, until they reach puberty, he or she will come on the day of judgment me and him and her together on the same plane 
And he, made, and he did this with his fingers. We will be together. Wherever I go, you'll be there with me. The hadith is in Sahih Muslim. So if you have daughters and you raise them on the piety and righteousness and goodness and you protect them and provide for them and give them safety and you honor them, Rasul be with you. And in another hadith, they will be your protection from any punishment you deserve. They will be used to protect you and be forgiven. One woman said, Ya Rasulullah, I had one daughter who died. He said, if you are patient, she will be your guard on the day of judgment. Or a boy. The Prophet wasallam used to treat his daughters. He only had daughters and he had one son that died and one before. It is narrated before he became a prophet. His four daughters were Fatima, Zainab, Umm Kulthum and Ruqayya radiallahu anhum hunna ajma'een. He loved Fatima the most. Which teaches us that you must treat your children equally but you can love one more than the other. That's something you cannot control. But don't show that love in front of your children uh, or behind their backs more. So don't favor them with extra care, but you can love them more. Whenever Fatima radiallahu anha, she was the youngest, whenever she entered and the Prophet was sitting, he would get up with a cheerful face, go up to her, kiss her on her forehead, and then he would place her in his place. He made her feel grand, amazing. And that is why when the Prophet ﷺ died, she was the only one left. His other three daughters died and he buried them all. ﷺ. He buried all his daughters and he cried for them and he went through a lot. And his daughter Fatima, she used to come in and when he was sick, he usually always got up. This time he didn't get up and she fell to the ground crying, saying, Abi, Are you going through immense pain, you? He said, yes, it's okay. There is no more pain upon your father after this day. And it's a long story. Because she knew he would get up. He would never fail to get up. That means that day he became unable to stand. Do you understand, brothers and sisters, the hanan, the, the, the compassion and the mercy that Rasul is showing? Even in times of firmness, he used to say to them firmly, but kindly. He would not just let them get away with him. Of course, they didn't. So, for example, Mu'adh was a teenager and used to say to him, Afatanun anta ya Mu'adh? He used to do something that was, caused a bit of trouble with people. And then his sister said to him, Are you a troublemaker, Mu'adh? Do you like making people fight? He said, No, Ya Rasulullah. I said, Then do this and do that. So Rasulullah didn't let children get away with it, but the way he did it was with compassion. My brothers and sisters, and lastly, he used to get the consent of his daughters before marriage. Every single one of his daughters were not married without their consent. And Rasul used to take them aside and make sure that his daughter truly and honestly wants this man. He married Ali radiallahu anhu, his first cousin, to his most beloved Fatima. And he married uh, two of his daughters to Uthman radiallahu anhu and Zainab radiallahu anha to a man who, were, who had converted to Islam later on. We'll come to her, inshallah, because I have a good story about her. We move on now. Brothers and sisters, and now we come to the story of the parents. I'm not going to say too much because everybody understands, but I'm going to say really sharp words and important words, even for people whose parents are a little bit harsh and you're not getting along with them. Brothers and sisters, please listen and be patient with me. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in Surah Luqman, verse 14 to 15, and we have commanded people to honor their parents. Their mothers, their mothers bore them through hardship upon hardship. And their weaning takes two years. So be grateful to me and to your parents. To me is the final return. But if they, your parents, pressure you to associate with me what you have no knowledge of, meaning they force you into things that are haram, do not obey them. Still, keep their company in this world courteously and follow the way of those who turn to me in devotion. Then to me you will all return, your parents and the children, all return, I'll judge between you. And then I will inform you of what you all used to do. Your parents will be judged, and you will be judged. What should you be looking out for, brothers and sisters? I'm talking to the young people now. Your duty is to do your part towards your parents, because that's what Allah is going to ask you about. Within your capacity and within your ability. So you do your part, and parents, you do your part. Allah clearly says here, yeah, if they're disbelievers and they're pressuring you to disobey me, don't listen to them. So there are boundaries. It doesn't mean you have to obey them in everything. And there is no verse in the Quran where Allah tells you, obey your parents. The word used in the Quran and the hadith are always bir. The word bir, my dear brothers and sisters, does not mean obedience. Because there are things you don't have to obey them in. Bir means kindness. Um, courtesy and goodness to give them more than their rights from what you can from your wealth from your service <coughs> from your goodness from your kindness and from your forgiveness and to let go of their shortcomings and not point at it among the things of bir goodness and kindness to the parents is to not raise your voice above theirs even if they raise their voice Allah will judge them and if they raise their voice, if there's a good reason, they have the right. You don't raise your voice above theirs. Because you will ruin your own character. And when you have children, they'll do that to you. Because that's your character now, you can't stop it. Number two, you do not hurt them with a word or an action. You may be firm with them. And in fact, being kind and dutiful to your parents means to also advise them about what is good. And to... Advise them about what is bad. So you have Amr bil Maruf and al Munkar. Command them which is, which is good and prohibit them from what is bad. So it doesn't mean that you just put your head down and whatever they say, right or wrong, you just go with it. No, if they do wrong, 
that, Allah, that, that is sinful, you can advise them. In fact, it's your duty if you love them. Because you also want to save your parents from the fire. What is my evidence? Prophet Ibrahim There's a huge chapter about him in Surat Maryam. He's advising his father in a whole page. Don't listen to the shaitan, dad. Don't worship the idols, dad. I've come to you with information that you haven't got. That's not disrespectful. Follow me, dad. Wallahi, I can guide you. I have this. Yani, let's say you have, you're a doctor. You're, you've got medicine, medical training. And you can advise your parents. Would you not advise them? What's good and bad for them? Does that mean you hate them? Does that mean you disrespect them? No. So examples like that. You must protect them and defend them. Anybody who talks about them, you defend them. And you never swear at anyone else's parents. Why? Even if they deserve it. Because then they will swear at your parents. Rasul said there will come a time when people will swear at their own dads. They said, how ya Rasulullah? He said they will swear at other people's dads. And then that will cause the other people to get angry and swear at their dads. It's as if you called upon that swearing for your dad. What have the parents got to do with it? And now people mention mums. This is haram. It's a major sin. You should not swear at a people's parents. Another way of showing courtesy and dutifulness to your parents, brothers and sisters, is not to say even uff to them. Allah clearly says it in the Quran. فَلَا تَقُلْ لَهُمَا أُفْ Don't even go ff. A lot, of, a lot of youngsters I hear saying, they say to their parents, far out. And they say more than that. I don't want to say it in the masjid. <coughs> far out is more than <sighs> Allah says, don't even say uff to them. <coughs> Ask them for forgiveness if you do. But man, they deserve it. But man, they're like this. Man, like, like this. Just calm down. Even if they deserve it. You don't deserve to make yourself a disrespectful person. You need to respect yourself and develop. You need to break that cycle. You are growing up too. And you don't want to carry the same traits. <coughs> we said last week that it can last up to four generations if you don't break the cycle. Allah will question you. So if they do wrong and you do wrong, both of you will be questioned by Allah and both of you will be sinned. But you have to respect your parents. Why? When you were a baby, Allah says here, your mother carried you agony upon agony. You and I have no idea what our mothers went through when we were tiny babies crying and making them stay up all the night until you get married and you understand. I know your parents will say, oh, you'll never know until you're... And you say, oh, you always say that. No, but it's true. We owe them. Not for now. For the past. You owe them for the past. You owe them for reaching this age safe, in school, your clothing, your food, to get there. So you owe them those years. Your mother first is mostly owed. Why? Three times more than the father because, the ulama said, because she carried you for nine months, the father didn't. That's the first right you owe her back. The second one is her labor and giving you birth. The father didn't go through that. And the third one is breastfeeding you. As in the Quran says, two years is a good time. If you can't breastfeed for two years, that's fine. But two years is a full right of a child. Because of that, you were nourished. You owe her three times more. And the rest of the actions of your parents, they are equal. Of 
course, brothers and sisters, you can love one parent more than the other, but you've got to treat them equally. And sometimes I've seen children change their parents around. I know a friend who, his father used to drink alcohol, his mother used to shout, and his father used to abuse him. And this friend of mine, he became a good Muslim, alhamdulillah, and started attending the masjid and changed his life around. <coughs> he tried teaching his father, but his father would abuse him every time with words. So he came and asked me, and I said to him, listen, you just do what you have to do. You go and pray. Pray in front of them. Is there a problem? He says, no. They say words to me. I go, do they harm you? They said, no. So pray in front of them. So he kept praying and praying and changing his life. He says, one day I came home. Wallahi, I saw my father. He had all these wine bottles. He's a Muslim, but they used to drink. And he was spilling all the wine bottles in the gutter. I said, what happened, Dad? My father said to me, I'm watching my own son doing all this, and I know myself. So your parents know what they're doing right or wrong. The next thing they need, I mean, don't give them a reason to continue that way. He says, I'm just watching my son change, and I felt embarrassed. So I have to make a change. Thank you, son. And now I've changed my life. And so they became best friends. So did his mother, mashallah. So brothers and sisters, what I'm saying is you can change around. Make dua for your parents. Make dua. Have you ever tried making dua for them? Say, oh Allah, guide my parents. You know, I know some people can change things around by knowing from which angle to get to their parents. See which angle works with them. And break your pride and, and do it. One way is to ask them for advice. Sit down and say, mom, dad, I want to ask you for advice. Parents, ask your children for advice. What do you think of this? What do you think of that? Your parents feel like you are seeking their advice. Of course, there are times when it gets really out of hand and you need support and help, get some family help. But these are exceptions. I'm talking about the norm, my brothers and sisters. Your father works very hard. Your mother worked very hard to get you to where you are. You owe them for the past. So my brothers and sisters, Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, To his wife, to his daughter Asma, sorry, to his uh, to Asma, the daughter of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, he said to her, "Ya Rasulullah, my mother is a disbeliever. She's a non-Muslim and she hates Islam. And she wants to come to visit me, and she's got a gift. Should I allow her and take the gift from her?" Rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, "Naam, sili ummaki. Yes, connect your ties with your mother." And accept the gift. The hadith is muttafaq alayh. It's in Bukhari and Muslim. Agreed upon. It doesn't matter if they're Muslim or not. Some people, they say, subhanAllah, they say to me, I converted to Islam. My parents, they're disowning me. They do all these things. SubhanAllah. They have a great test, these people. And Jannah is yours, inshaAllah. However, I say to them always, keep a line between you and your parents. Keep going over. Maybe, inshaAllah, they'll change. And I've seen so much change happen. And they see that their children got better when they converted or reverted to Islam. And I've seen parents convert, or at least they love Islam, or at least they stopped. I know of brothers whose parents changed 180 just because of how close they became after their Islam. So my brothers and sisters, don't give up and keep that tie with them as much as you can. And insha'Allah, things will work out if you rely on Allah. 
Next is the Prophet وسلم, when he went to the grave of his mother. Now Rasul did not meet his father, but guess what he did? He honored and respected his father's brothers, his father's friends, the Muslim and the non-Muslim. And he used to say, respecting the uncle is in the place of the father. It's like respecting your father. So he respected his uncle Hamza before and after Islam, Abu, uh, Abu Talib. Even his uncle Abu Lahab, who is mentioned in the Quran, where Allah says, May the hands of Abu Lahab be cursed because he put fire in front of the Prophet he used to work against him and he used to took him as an enemy. And, but Abu Lahab was his uncle and even before Islam he used to love his nephew and after Islam he hated him. But the Prophet continued to show him courteous respect. No matter what, he didn't say a word to hurt him. And Rasul was once seen at a grave and they were on an expedition. And then Umar and the other companions saw him at that grave. He was crying a lot. And he was on his knees. They said to him, Allah, What is making you cry so we may cry with you? And he said, This is the grave of the mother of your Prophet. Amina ibn Tuwahab, who was the Prophet's mother. She died when he was six years old. In another narration, he said, I remembered. I remembered her treatment to me and her kindness when I was a child. Do you understand? We remember when we were children and what we owe our parents. So remember that and say, I owe them that at least. As much as you can. And if there are harm from them, try your best to avoid their harm as much as you can. And seek help, but as much as you can, inshallah. My brothers and sisters, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told us to treat our relatives and cousins in good manner. Even if they mistreat us, we don't have to mistreat them in the same way. Rasulullah said, La takun Don't be a copycat. In, when people do good, that's the only time you do good. And when they do bad, you also do bad. He said, if they do good, you also do good. If they do bad, find a way to avoid their bad. So you can have a distance. You can avoid do you understand, brothers and sisters? Rasul he said, O Muslims, you are going to conquer Egypt in the future. Allah told him that they were going to enter Egypt. And truly it did happen at the time of <coughs> Abu Bakr anhu with Amr ibn al-As. And he said, if you enter Egypt and you see the Copts, the Coptics there and all the others, Show them, show them courtesy and kindness. For we have a bloodline relationship with them going back to Hajar alayhi salam. Hajar, the mother of Ismail, the wife of Ibrahim alayhi salam. Can you see? That was 4,000 years ago, and he said, we still have some blood between us, like relationship. And he, Rasul sallallahu Mari al-Qubtiyya, who became Rasul sallallahu uh, partner, we call it right-hand possession. That's a whole nother story to talk about. He treated her with kindness and she chose to be that way anyway because he offered to marry her, but she chose to be a right-hand possession, which means that she had rights in a different way. And she loved the Prophet ﷺ. And what happened is Mary al-Qubtiyya, she came from the Coptics in Egypt, and the Prophet ﷺ said, 
and we have in-laws there. In-laws. He called the Egyptians his in-laws because he married, because he uh, had a relationship with a woman with her consent from them. So that made a relationship with the Copts. So he said, I am a Sahar, an in-law, and also a relative. We'll leave that idea of Mari al to another time. I did talk about it in my biography of the Prophet We need a long time to talk about that. But everything has an answer in Islam. My brothers and sisters, let's move on. Al-Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he used to call his own family before he called anyone else to Islam. Because Allah says, وَأَنذِرْ عَشِيرَتَكَ الْأَقْرَبِينَ Warn and save the most closest people among your family to you. They mistreated him and some of them accepted him. And he avoided the mistreatment of the bad relatives and connected with the relatives that were, he was safe around. But he never gave up on them. The Prophet ﷺ loved his uncle Al-Abbas and he used to treat him in utmost respect when he was still a non-Muslim and he was in the battle of Badr. They captured him as a prisoner and they tied him up. And the Prophet ﷺ could hear him in the room moaning from pain. in, And they said, Ya Rasulullah, we see that you look uncomfortable, distressed. He said, I can hear my uncles moaning. So one of the companions who had brought him as a prisoner went and he untied his, the shackles. And his moaning stopped. The Prophet ﷺ said, Why, what happened to my uncle's moaning? I can't hear it anymore. He said, oh, Ya Rasulullah, I saw your distress. And for your sake, because he's your uncle, I untied his shackles. He said, thank you. Now go back to the other prisoners and also untie their shackles. Because he is also a just prophet. Later on, Al-Abbas becomes Muslim. And subhanAllah, the amount of love he gave to him was beyond measure. Even though he was in the battlefield fighting him. The Prophet ﷺ fostered Ali radiallahu anhu his cousin, as I said before. And <coughs> one day, he entered his house and his wife, Umama radiallahu anha. One of Prophet's wives was Umama. And uh, she said to him, Ya Rasulallah, Ya Rasulallah, I, I had some jewelry and I donated from my jewelry to the uh, poor people of so-and-so. And Rasul said, if only you would have donated your jewelry to your uncles and aunts, you would have gotten more reward. The reward of donation and reward of connecting your ties. And what we learn from this is number one. I don't know if you noticed. His wife's money is her money. It's her wealth. Did the Prophet ask her what she does with her wealth? No, she told him. Did the Prophet ﷺ tell her where to donate it? No. Listen, he said, if you had given it to your uncles and aunts, your akhwal, your mother's brothers and sisters, you'd get double the reward. He's not telling her to do that. He's telling her an option which is better for her. He's not commanding her. This shows us that a husband has no right to question his wife's money and wealth and jewelry and property at all. We have no right. We have no right to tell her that she must ask us where she donates her money, where she invests her money, what she buys with her money, how she spends her money. We have no right, brothers and sisters. We can advise her and guide her if we want, but we have no right. Unless she brings harm from her wealth into her family, and unless she starts doing haram with it, God forbid, drugs or something like that, the husband can command it. 
because the husband has to protect his family and the wife has to think about her family. But other than that, we have no right. Her wealth is entirely hers. 